0: Lots of us uh, will have tried, as we might, uh, to become experts in articles four and five of the NATO treaties last night because the news broke not long after we came off air of that missile uh, landing in Poland and killing two people. Uh, Scott Lucas is a professor of international politics at the Clinton Institute at University College Dublin, and the reason he is here is to explain exactly what those articles are and what obligations they place on member states of NATO. Scott, you're very, very welcome to the show. Um
1: What does Article 4 say? So Article 4 is for consultation. So a member state of NATO, in this case Poland, can say, look, we may be facing a serious situation here. We need to consult the other members of NATO about what action we might have to take versus a potential aggressor, in this case, Russia.
0: Okay. Article 5, then, what does that say?
1: Article 5 says we need to take action now not consult, not discuss. We have to act now. The threat is already here. So the difference as it played out this morning, Kieran, before we established what is likely, which is that it was a Ukrainian air defense missile uh, that actually strayed and fell in Polish territory. Before we knew that, the Poles were thinking, all right, we will consult with other NATO members about whether or not we think this is a deliberate Russian attack. But we're not going to conclude that it's a deliberate Russian attack at this point. We're not going to escalate. So there was never a question that Poland <coughs> was going to use Article 5, which was, we have an emergency situation. We effectively are at war with Russia.
0: So how how in, in practical terms do each of those articles get triggered? I mean, it, it is the... The country that has been attacked, the individual member state that makes the decision as to go with Article 4 or 5, is that it?
1: Yes. So, for example, the most famous case of Article 5 uh, being invoked was actually in a far different circumstance. And that is that in 2001, after the World Trade Center was attacked and the Pentagon uh, by al-Qaeda, even though it was not a state, of course, that attacked, it was al-Qaeda that attacked. Uh, The U.S. convened NATO to say, yes, we're in an Article 5 situation where we need to act collectively against this threat, which led to a lot of the the collective action that took place against al-Qaeda in subsequent years. Uh, We really haven't been in a position, uh, in my memory, where we've had Article 5 being invoked by a member of NATO against another state, another opponent, such as a Russia, such as a China, such as an Iran. Is
0: there any scope or mechanism within the NATO treaties then to allow other member states to, I suppose, lodge an objection? You know, for instance, let, let, let's let's stick with last night as an example. If Poland had immediately said, uh, we are invoking Article 5, we consider ourselves having been attacked by Russia, we are at war with Russia, and by extension, NATO is at war with Russia. Is there any mechanism whereby the UK, the US or anybody else can say, whoa, 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 hold your horses?
1: Well, they, you know, you know a, a member state of NATO, and this is why you actually have to have the discussion, would actually say, no, we, we don't think Article 5 applies in this situation. Um, it would then come down to a collective decision of NATO uh, to override that objection as you were. In other words, you can object to Article 5 being invoked, but if uh, the, the large majority of NATO countries think, no, this is an Article 5 situation, you're either in or you're out. You effectively... You know, if you don't go along with that, you leave the organization. The most interesting case recently we've had of that possibility came from a guy named Donald Trump, who was in the news uh, today, I believe. Uh, Donald Trump said uh, when he was president a few years ago in the United States that he did not think the U.S. was bound by Article 5. He didn't think that if Article 5 was invoked by another country, that the U.S. had to come to its defense. So had we actually faced a situation like, you know, we potentially could have faced today, which could have been a potential Russian attack, it would have raised an interesting question as to whether Trump would have blocked NATO action under Article 5 against an aggressor.
0: And when you say um, there is a mechanism you know, whereby other member states then can't say, hold on, we, we, we don't think this is a, a, a justifiable decision to invoke Article 5. Is it just majority voting? Is it super majority? Do individual countries have a veto? I mean, how does that happen in practice?
1: It's not, It's not. it doesn't really, there's not really, as it were, as you would think with the EU, where we have basically, you know, voting system where you're talking about, do you have to have unanimity? Do you have to have Yeah. Uh, certain two thirds? It really is left, in, because this goes all the way back to the original NATO uh, uh, charter back in 1947, uh, which is relatively short and to the point, which is it it's sort of a consensus thing that Article Five is there to get a consensus of all members that, we, in fact, we do have uh, a situation where an aggressor has to be confronted. So we've never really f- faced the test case that you're laying out before us, which is what happens if we can't get that consensus? Mm-hmm. Do we go or do we not go?
0: Is there – like, does the U.S. – represent the kind of the de facto leader of NATO. And what I mean is, you know, we talk about kind of the the, the European democracy, but it, it'd be very rare that a big decision would be made without the Germans having given it the approval in the first case. I mean, is it unconscionable that the Poles would invoke Article 5 without talking to the White House?
1: I, I think it's not just a question whether the polls would invoke Article 5 without talking to the White House. I think you've raised it quite well by saying the polls would also be talking to the Germans. They'd be talking to the French. Uh, they'd be talking to the British, who, of course, are still in NATO, if not the EU. They'd even, you know, they'd be talking to, you know, to, to, to smaller states like the Baltic states who are on the front line with Russia. You know, in other words, you would pave the ground for Article 5 very, very quickly by talking to the members informally. Uh, As it were, behind closed doors before going into this. Uh, I mean, again, another case that we raised, which really showed, I think, the difference between then and now is, again, after 9-11, the United States uh, went to NATO and said, look, we've got an Article 5 situation involving Afghanistan because Afghanistan is sheltering Al-Qaeda. And that raised an interesting question for NATO because you're expanding the organization's remit beyond Europe. Which is where it had been, yeah, since the 1940s. And again, by consensus, the U.S. did get the support of other states um, to, you know, c- to carry out activities against Afghanistan, which lasted, of course, for well over a decade. But I think 20 years ago, you could see the U.S. as being very much at least having the belief, even if I think it was misguided, we lead and the rest follow. I don't think that's the case now. I think it's not the question that the United States can walk into NATO and say, everybody has to follow us. It's much more of a multilateral organisation with more of a a balance of power if you were amongst the members.
0: All right. Well, listen, Scott, that's been really informative because, as I say, a lot of people were hearing about and reading about Articles 4 and 5 last night without necessarily understanding exactly what they are and how they work. And, And I hope... They do. I certainly do understand them a little bit more now. Scott Lucas is Professor of International Politics at the Clinton Institute at the University College of Dublin. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.